This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 89 of Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we discuss the barefoot debate of to shoe or not to shoe our horses. The critters of the show are snakes and identifying the poisonous ones. In Critter Nutrition, how to support homeostasis with medicinal mushrooms. And in Coffee Clatch, how to make feeding dogs fun for you and your dogs. Listen in. The three musketeers of Healthy Critters are back, and uh, and we're here. And Tigger is full of laughter, knowing that uh, in what uh, seventeen months you get to go back to Alaska again, (laughs) which is a good thing. Which is a good thing. So, how often? This is this is my this is my query. I volunteered to do the chit chat before our roundtable discussion today because I had a a thought. How okay. often do you need the kind of vacation that you get to clear your brain and your soul? Go, Tigger. Okay, that's a double-edged question because... Um, Not how often do you get uh, one, how often do you need one? Oh, monthly. <laughs> <laughs> so you think, so for you, if you, th- if you were able to take like an entire weekend and be just... As chill as you are when you take two weeks off in Alaska, if you could do that once a month, you think that your quality of life would improve significantly? A hundred percent. Okay. Patty, how about you? Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. The thing- No, 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 no. This, this, is, this is in the perfect world. In the perfect world, what would it be? No excuses. Perfect world. Well, I- you know, I Patty's overthinking it. Yeah. Yep. I am. Well, I am. Okay. So I, yes, I am. I, I think that, um, you know, I enjoy what I do so much. So I find that I, that sometimes when I think about leaving and going to do something that stresses me out because I actually enjoy what I do so much. I hate getting out of my routine. So it's a little, it's a little, it's a little tough, you know, okay. it's a little tough, but um, what would it be? We, we need to have a frequency. Yeah. Of how often I once a year, once a year, once a month, once a month, once every two years. Um, I, I mean, I would say once a year, um, if not twice a year. I mean, I really, Tigger, as you know, I enjoyed when I went to Colorado so much. It was like I was like, oh my gosh, I get why people do this. Okay, so about you know, about um, twice a year would be probably your ideal frequency. Yeah, yeah. And what would be yours, Jen? You know, I think about every other month for me, <laughs> about every two months, I feel like, you know, I need to get away from it all, not talk to anybody I actually know, Yep. just be completely, no decisions to be made. Yep. And, you know, for between two and four days, every two months or so. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the time, I'm cool to have my nose to the grindstone because, yep. you know, I, I love, I'm very goal oriented. I have like, like having something that I need to get done because there's a deadline. Um, that's very interesting how, um, 
And it would be interesting to look at, I think, people who are, because the three of us are self-employed, right? None of us mm-hmm. work right. for the man. Right. We, I am the man. You are the man. That's right. It would be interesting to talk to people who have different types of jobs that are self-employed um, versus the employee and how that whole conversation would would um, play out. Now, my next question is, some people are, they, they live their life by time frame. Things happen within a certain time period. And other people live their life in that life happens according to what got done. For example, when you think about your day, do you think about between 9 and 11 and I need to ride these three horses? Or when you think of those three horses, you say to yourself, um, on Tuesday, these three horses do need to do these three things. See what I'm coming with this? Uh-huh. So, mm-hmm. Patty, you're going to mm-hmm. go first on this one. Are you more of a time frame person or an accomplishment goal person? Um, again, <laughs> I'm not. I, um, I'm a little bit of both. I'm definitely. I am very much a. I if I have so tomorrow, I have six horses I have to ride. I will write a schedule that the first horse will. I will be on its back at eight o'clock. I will ride it for 45 minutes, but it's not like I'm going to get on and say, now today I'm going to work just on leg yields and piazza massage or, you know, whatever. I really go by what the horse tells me because I have found when I was younger, I used to do it that way where I'd be like, okay, today I'm going to work on this, this, you know, this day I'm going to work on that. But what I found is I've gotten older and I ride so many different horses. I feel like when I do that, I become so regimented against what I think I'm supposed to be working on rather than have the horse tell me. So I am schedule oriented or time frame oriented, but I don't, um, I don't have like a said list. I mean, like Mondays are obviously a little bit more of a stretchy day, but Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I build on that. So, but it's always within a, the day I, it's a time frame I do it within, but I don't necessarily work on a certain thing. Okay, Unless, uh, like I get, I get on and I go, okay, yeah. geez, we're really tough on the left, the left and right leg, uh, you know, rain. So then I'll work on that. Mm-hmm. How about you, Tigger? Where, where do you feel like your consciousness leans? Goal. Yeah. Task oriented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Getting things done. You, and you tend, you, do you tend to um, lose track of what the clock's saying because you are so focused on the task or the goal? Well, no, I try to budget things. <laughs> so I know that I have from this time to this time to get this, this, and this done or to get this written or whatever and then move on to the next thing. So you, do you like to have um, lots of projects going at once or do you like, do you feel happier? Now, again, this is the perfect world scenario. This is not what really happens in your life. It's what, if the perfect world would to make you happy, would you be happier if you were able to focus on a single goal or task and have it done before you get elbow deep in the next one? Yes. Yeah. How about you? How about you, Patty? Yeah, I would say yes. I like, yeah, I like to, I like to finish one thing before I start something else. Yeah. Interesting. Again, how about you? Me, I am very definitely one task at a time. I hate multitasking; makes me grumpy. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny though. Like I, when you were, I would, the only thing is though, is like when I read books, I read like two and three books at a time. See, you're not so a multi, you, you're not a single task person. Then you like to have lots of things well, going on. Uh, yes. And it's funny. Cause like, once I said that, I realized I was like, God, that's not completely true. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, it just depends on the thing for me. I think when it comes to the horses, I'm very singly tasked or my dogs, it's very singly tasked. But when it comes to other things, so what does that make me? A confused task? Person? <laughs> I, I think when it comes to the horses, you feel like you're a single task person. But when you think about it, the emotional and neurological processes that go on when one is riding a horse that is the very essence of multitasking, don't you think? Yeah, you, you know, you're right. Because I, I, I have many people that like have said to me, you just are doing so many things. It's like flying kites. It's just which kite you tend to bring down at that particular moment. So yeah, I guess I guess that you're, I, yeah, I guess I have to change my answer. I'm a multi, I'm a multitasker. See, there you go. Very interesting. And that's one of the things when I ride that I struggle with is the, some people might call it situational awareness. Being, I tend to hyper focus on one aspect, not necessarily keeping my thumbs up, but I tend to, I will tend to focus on one small part of my riding to the detriment of other parts. So I lose track of what's going on elsewhere in that little sub universe and I don't ride as well as I could. But then what I, tr when I do try to multitask and take it all in, then I tend to get overwhelmed by it all and don't get any of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like all or nothing. <laughs> and it's, it's very that's difficult so for me. That's, that's something that, that really holds me back as an equestrian is my difficulties with making that leap. And for you and in, in the, in the, sales business they have this thing called um the four levels was four levels of um competence you ride at what is referred to as the unconscious competence level you're doing so many right. things you're not you're not cognizant of doing them they yeah. just happen yes yeah. and that's one that's of the areas where i struggle with is that leap from conscious competence to unconscious competence i I struggle with that because I'll get there and I lose it and I get there and I lose it. So Tigger, because you are a businesswoman, you're the top of the food chain. <laughs> the shark. You're the, you're the apex predator. <laughs> do you find yourself, you do many, many things every day yeah. in a state of unconscious competence. You don't even realize yes. you're doing them. So I've added something. It's been a goal of mine for 40 years that I've just decided to tackle. And it's writing a novel. Really? Oh. Yeah. And fitting that time in with everything else. Uh, I, I, it's, it's very, very challenging. So I, my deal with myself, because, you know, Biostar really does come first. Um, is even if I only get a paragraph done, I only have time to write a paragraph. I write that paragraph and then I move on to cool. all things Biostar. Cool. Well, that's, yeah. that's, interesting. that's interesting that you bring that up because on my f Facebook page, uh, one of the ads that pops up regularly is from a company called Masterclass. Oh, yeah. I see that those ads too. Yeah. And 
Dan Brown, the author of Da Vinci Code and many, many yep. others, is doing a masterclass on how to write a novel. The way they Wait. present the way they well, present those ads, I want to take the classes, even though I have no interest in writing a novel. I just want to take the class. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, when I graduated from college, I was accepted at the University of Iowa Writers, Writers Workshop for a master's. Really? Now, what made yeah. you not? What made you not take them up on it? I went out to the University of Iowa. I, you know, met the professors and you know the students and da 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 da. And I went, you know, I have just spent most of my life in in school, and I think that I'd rather go live my life now. And then maybe I'll come back, come and, back later. and get a master's, which, of course, I never did. So I, I became a ski bum in Aspen. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. That's awesome. So I would never <laughs> in a million of years have guessed Tigger ever spent time as a ski bum. Oh, I grew up that's on awesome. skis. I mean, it was when I was two years old, I had skis on my feet. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Tigger the bomb. Look at the things we learn when I get to do the chit chat. I'm going to do this. Uh, yes, I think we're going to put you in charge of chit chatting. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Dr. Jen. Dr. Jen. There we go. <laughs> well, Dr. Jen. That was interesting good. stuff. So, um, I, what I will pose to the audience, our listeners, is think about those same questions for yourself. Yeah. Um, are you like Patty in that you think you're one type of um, psyche when you're, are you really a multitasker? Do you think you are one? Are you not? Are you someone who um, wished they were a ski bum when they got out of college and didn't get to be? <laughs> and I would propose to also consider would your best life be that you got three or four days a month where you just disconnected from technology and the world oh, and were just able to be in nature. Interesting. And, um, or do you need that maybe once a year or once every two years or never? never. <laughs> never. That's, I think that's, a, that's an excellent query because there is so much pressure I'm getting this from a book I've been listening to recently about being an introvert um, because I'm a serious introvert, despite the fact that I sit at a microphone for a living, that there's so much pressure to be extroverted. Mm -hmm. The successful people are extroverted, right? People look at you if you don't want to go visiting and you don't want to see people and you just want to be quiet and peaceful and alone. They look at you like there's something wrong with you. Like, what do you mean you don't want to go visit? It's like, no, there's nothing wrong with me. That's just me. So that's a great idea, Tigger. Think about that, whether or not your best life is lived slightly different than what you might feel from your peers or your family. Is, Is there, do you need to make a healthy adjustment there and make it a little bit better for you? And if it's a little scary, maybe take baby steps that direction. Great query. Well, you know, when I'm, in Wellington, uh, I have boundaries, and all, my day is devoted to the horses and the riders and trainers and owners. That they they have me all day long. Night, no, I don't I don't like to socialize. I like my tigger time. I mm-hmm. like my alone time, my chill out time, my get myself together time, and. You know, it's a pretty social place, yes, it and it. Mm-hmm. You know, some people take think that I'm just you know anti-social. like antisocial. Yeah, absolutely. 
I, you I'm just need not. To recharge your batteries. I just need to recharge my. Oh batteries. yeah, I mean that makes that makes so much sense though. Yeah. But, you yeah, know, some people just thrive on the energy. So Absolutely. they can be with people all day long and go out and be with them all night long. And they thrive on it. Me, it, it's it's like a, I, I can't, I just can't do it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Very I can do stuff. a little bit of both. I can do a little bit You're kind bit of in the middle. Like, you you're, know, not a, you're not at a far end well, of the spectrum. Well, I mean, I thrive on the excitement and all that, but then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I'm done. Like, you know, I, you know. <laughs> Well, you're normal, Tate. You're normal, Patty. You're perfectly normal. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm perfectly normal. There oh, you go. Goodness. And and one last thing before we get to our roundtable discussion, the book I've referred to is called "Quiet: The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking." Oh wow, I like that it's, title. It's an excellent book. It's by Susan Kane, and I found that book because Susan had been a guest on a different podcast that I produce called Horsemanship Radio. And she was an author, and she did a book that we talked about on that Horsemanship Radio show. So I looked it up, and if you feel frustration about the pressure of the universe trying to make you do things that you, it's like really I don't I don't like to talk to people that much, and, th- and you, it confuses you. This is a great book in that it talks about how culturally in the United States we have come to admire the extrovert. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting stuff. So deep, heavy, all that kind of stuff. But great queries, deep stuff to start the show out. Now we're going to go a little bit fluffier with our roundtable. <laughs> yes, we are. A little fluffier. I like. Yeah. I do like. So roundtable discussion today. We are discussing uh, the barefoot debate. You know, to shoe or not to shoe. And the reason that I wanted to bring this up is that recently. Um, a, a person came to me for some nutritional advice for their horse and the horse has had some laminitic episodes and it's, the horse is still pretty uncomfortable. And I said, well, you know, has your farrier been out to maybe put flip flops on or, um, some bar shoes, da, da, da. And she said, no, 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 you know, I'm I'm barefoot and my barefoot trimmer's been out. And I said, great. And she said, well, you know, I I can't believe you would bring up shoes. Uh And so I I thought it would be good to talk about this because my personal feelings are that we, I personally like to do what's best for that individual horse. I'm not pro shoe or pro barefoot i'm for what works for the horse and sometimes barefoot is great and sometimes a horse needs shoes so i am not in in a passionate corner on either side i know it took lionheart my horse a year to transition from no shoes to barefoot where he was actually comfortable i don't think i could compete him barefoot ever I mean, he's retired. He, he can be barefoot, but he has weak soles, thin walls, and the kind of footing that uh, so many competition horses are in, which is either sand or you know synthetic. It it it's just some horses just can't do it. Some horses can, and it's gr- that's great. But I, I think we need to approach hoof health by that individual horse. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that because I, I mean, I've had, I mean, for instance, my young horse that I have right now, he's 17, one, he's a big boy. He's got great feet. 
just changed, you know, where he lives and his feet are breaking up a little bit, had the farrier look at him. I, and I think I'm going to really like this guy. Cause he's like, look, he's got great feet, you know, why wait it out. And the, you know, the benefit of waiting it out is because then, you know, you, the foot structure stays good, obviously yeah. you're not putting yeah. anything on it. And they got the nice con- con- concussion and contusion on the ground, which is good for their bones and all that stuff. But you do get to a point when they start to do different types of work where you don't want them to be slipping through the ground and the shoe, the support of the shoe can help, you know, all of those things that it can enhance what you're doing in the dressage and whatnot. You know, it was interesting. I trained with a, a very famous German man for a period of time. His name was Martin Schaut. And he had me pull all the hind, I don't know if I ever told you this figure, all the hind shoes off of all of my horses, even my Grand Prix horses, because he said he really felt like, like they went better. And it's just so interesting how everybody has their little thing. You had front shoes, but no hind shoes. And again, I think it just depends on the horse, the quality of the horse. I mean, I, like I said, I mean, I've got my young guy. I'm going to keep him barefoot as long as I can. Yeah. But I know that at some point, because he's a big guy, he's going to need a little bit of help because of the job that he's going to do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and by nature, some horses do have weak soles or, you know, or lower soles. And, you know, if they're out in nature and they weren't being taken care of like we do, they'd be lame, you know, and they'd be sore, you know, if they, they, they if wouldn't they didn't be lame and sore. They would be coyote food. I know. I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> they'd be lame and sore and then coyote food. <laughs> 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 How about you, Jen? Where are you in? Where what? Where are you on the to shoe or not to shoe? I am also very much do what's right for that horse at that time in that job. And I'm going to have a caveat there because I think what you, what you mentioned about your horse he's he was retired. Yep. He had to take time to transition into his retirement yep. phase because he was living his life one way. Now he's going to transition and live a different lifestyle um just like a human being if you wear shoes your whole life then you're not and you're not going to just start walking around san francisco in your bare feet your feet are going to get sore. right um, people who want to have their horses go barefoot i think go wrong because they just pull the horse's shoes off mm-hmm. I and that. i, I oh, think that's God. a little unfair to the horse he doesn't have an option if his feet hurt he's still got to stand on them Yep. Think through a plan with a qualified farrier and or veterinarian. Um, Another thing I think a lot of folks become frustrated and go down the barefoot rabbit hole with with the blinders on. All horses must be barefoot because they've had experiences with farriers who have... Perhaps even gone gone to farrier school or have letters next to their names who are completely and totally incompetent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just because you went to school doesn't mean you graduated with A's. That's a good point. (laughs) You can go go to doctor school and you you can graduate at the bottom of your class and then proceed to not put any of that stuff in effect when you actually go to work. So... If you're having frustrations with farriers, rather than putting blinders on and deciding that all horses must be barefoot, well, maybe your horses, maybe your horse could be barefoot. Maybe. We don't know. Um, Maybe doing some research from peer-reviewed articles and a second opinion and things like that would be better than just saying one size fits all. Horses were shared. All horses who do this job need shoes or all horses who do this job don't. I really agree with both of you that there is a middle ground and do what's best 
for that horse at that time. And I'm the person who's spending gobs of money on glue on horseshoes for my pleasure mount. There you go. That's the idiot I am. (laughs) Well, I don't know. But I do think you've raised a very good point because I know too many people that have decided they're going to go barefoot. And I have seen people make their horses so incredibly, and it, it makes me sick to my stomach because they have decided it's better for them, but they're not looking at the pain that they're in. Nope. And when it takes more than a few days, let's say even maybe a week, which personally I think is way too long. And if you're going to transition, you know, go work on how to transition and just don't pull them off and then go, help, you know, maybe start putting stuff on the bottom of their feet or doing something going into this, hardening their feet, not just ripping them off. But I've, I've seen people, I, have, I know people that have done this, that have made their horses so incredibly sore that they were sore for eight months. And I just, it, I was like, I, I could not be involved in, in it because it was just so cool. It was cool. Yeah. It was cool. And you're not doing better for them at that point. No, you're not doing better for that, you know, but, um, yeah, I mean, and you know, there, and also there are lots of on- things, there are lots of things you can do for your horse. If you want him to become barefoot, he needs to make that transition. There's lots of things exactly. you can do by you pull off the shoes that have been nailed onto his feet. There are. Um, things you can put on your horse's feet. There are certain ways you can yep. trim and balance the horse's feet. There are removable boots that they can wear. There's lots yep. of things you Soft can do to transition yep. them so that they can be comfortable. They might not gallop around and do pee-offs, but they're going to be comfortable and content. And just just try this sometime. Try putting a couple of good sharp stones in your shoes. And then yeah. go to go to Walmart and be the Walmart greeter with those stones in your shoes for about eight hours. And Hey, just after... Horse. Just after the winter, you take your shoes off and you walk outside in, on a nice yeah. spring day. Have you noticed when you do that, when you do the ow, ow, ow thing, when you take your shoes off, it's a hot beach, sand or rocks or something. Have you noticed that the owls are in perfect synchronized rhythm with the, when your foot touches the floor? <laughs> have you no. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. So obviously the three of us are pretty much in agreement. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're smart. Yeah, because we're smart. Barefoot is lovely. It's not yep. for it's yeah. not for everyone, but it's lovely. It's and everybody. if you decide that your horse should be barefoot and you want to give it a try, do it the smart way. That's kind of where yep. it goes. Do it slowly yep, exactly. and compassionately. Compassionately. Exactly. I think that's perfect. Yeah. Perfect. 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 We're so perfect today. <laughs> I know. You started it. You know what's going to happen? We're going to talk to Hedwig now. And it's all oh, God. Go, it's all going to go pear shaped. Yeah, big time. Uh oh. <laughs> Hello? Hetty! Hi, Hetty. Hello? 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 Patifer? <laughs> I love taking pat of Hetty, I understand you have a song to sing. My song didn't work out, Tigger. Oh. Oh. Well, I then... worked on it a lot all day, really, but I just can't seem to get my Taylor Swift vibe down. Ah, you were doing it to a Taylor Swift song. Yes, I thought it was apropos because you say that phrase to me a lot. You say you need to calm down <laughs> all the time. And I thought, 
here is a song that I could really make my own if I reversed it and made it a little speech to Tigger. I, I got it to a few verses, and then I was just so pleased with myself, I had to have a nap. Oh. And then I woke up and you called. So do you want to share the first two verses? I think it would be better if we were to discuss one of the lines from the original song, which I think is an important one for us all to consider right now. Okay. We're going to do some textual analysis on this week's show. Ready. Uh We've been doing a lot of deep diving, so this is (laughs) great. Good stuff. So let us begin with this one. You are somebody that we don't know, but you're taking shots at me like it's Pat Trump. And it's 7 a.m. All says, damn. So in this phrase, this individual who is a pop star is noticing on her Twitter feed that people she is not familiar with are saying rude things about her political stance. And so I have suffered similar slings and arrows with my public persona. And so I really felt a great affinity for Taylor's experience. And I really thought, yes, I too sometimes feel like this. And I don't necessarily drink Patron, but if I did, I'm pretty sure that this is how I would know people were being horrible. And then there's another important line later on. And it refrains this idea of people attacking those they don't know. And so that line is, you are somebody that we don't know, but you're taking shots at my friends like a missile. And so again, as a little dog who is frequently accused unfairly of behaviors that are not accurate by people like Tiddle and Glenn, (laughs) solely because I am a little dog, And for no other reason, I am pretty much forced to say that you need to take your hate away. Put it away. Because, once again, to paraphrase, casting shade never made anybody less little dog. I'm going to be a little dog. Nothing you do will stop my little dogness. I'm a little dog. That's your rap name. Little dog. That's That's a rap name. Yep. Little dog. Queen little dog. See, see, that applies (laughs) to our previous conversation, does it not, ladies? Just stop the hate. That's what I'm saying. You You all, you need to calm down. (laughs) So Tigger told you that a long time ago. So Tigger, you're really responsible for this song going. So once you get it done, it's going to be... It's going to be you. Yeah, Tigger should probably sue Taylor Swift for that because she's been saying I need to calm down for five years. <laughs> but she's wrong. Tigger's wrong. Mm-hmm. Wrong. Mm-hmm. Because Hedwig's she doesn't eyes, understand. I can never do anything right. It's impossible. Well, Tigger does not understand little dog. Yeah. No, I only dog. run with the big dogs. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, you and your giant furry pet. Mm -hmm. You must be so proud. I am. (laughs) Little dog, not impressed. 
Well, thank you so much, little. Forward to a good rap yeah. song. Thank from, you. And, you know, yeah, so that's I what think I we, think. I think we could make Hedwig even cooler. Instead of little dog, it'd be little dog. Little dog. Little, little dog. dog. Little dog. Well, that's thank you right. spending. Thanks for spending a little time with us today, little dog, and all of it. Great <laughs> advice, and oh, so very relevant for today's equestrian and animal lover. Yes. Yes, we all yeah. need to just try not to hate so much. I, we agree. And Glenn. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> bye, Hetty. Bye-bye, Hedwig. Bye. And now it's time for the breed of the show. We are at the Critter Corner, and I thought it would be a perfect time of year to talk about um, snakes <laughs> and how to recognize whether they're venomous or not and um and i'm sure you guys have both had encounters with snakes in the barn as as everybody does Mm -hmm. and you know there's some that are very very good uh, as we know and there's some that aren't so good so you know i thought perfect time of year to talk about this and i've learned so many interesting things and what triggered this um was something that i saw on facebook a couple of days ago which we'll go get into um but I figured it would be kind of cool to have, you know, what are what are the basic indicators if a, if a snake is venomous? And I think um, you guys have probably heard the same thing. If if there's a triangular head, that's supposed to be um, a, a venomous snake. Um, and if they have slit pupils, that's supposed to be another indicator. And I've also heard that if they have a, a rattler. And what, what I didn't realize, I always thought rattlesnakes were rattlesnakes, but I guess there are rattles, there's rattles. I mean, rattlesnakes are rattlesnakes. They have rattles, but not from what I understand, not all rattlesnakes are actually venomous that I, that I'm not a hundred percent sure about. But, um, the, the thing that was the biggest indicator to me is that triangular heads, a lot of snakes actually have triangular heads. That doesn't mean they're venomous. What makes them generally the the biggest thing is that they have a very fat triangular head with a very fat body. Did you guys know that? So what it means is, is that you can have either he's uh, venomous or that means he's not venomous, but he just ate a really big rat. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So a, a, a smaller headed snake with a rat in its belly. Yeah, you, that could be it. So, um, so this is kind of cool. 99% of the snakes that you see, um, apparently are not venomous. And, um, so basically what they're saying is a thinner snake is generally a safe snake. If you see a fatter snake, it's, it's most likely venomous and most people don't stick around. And I'm going to tell you right now, I see a snake. I'm not going to sit there and look to see how fat it's headed, but if it's fat, I'm going to be out of there. Um, so, you're looking for the slit in the eye, the head shape, and obviously if it rattles, um, that, that would, those are big indicators that it's obviously going to be venomous. Um, they, um, they, so I guess you guys have all heard, have you heard pit viper? You know, I don't have any idea what it means. I've just heard it. Well, okay. I didn't either. So apparently. I just know what a pit helmet is. I'll think, well, this is probably a little different. So venomous snakes, some venomous snakes have a small depression right behind um, the eye and the nostril, and it's called the pit, hence pit viper. And, um, and I guess 
um, because, you know, the triangular head of the fat, the venomous snakes, they're triangular and broader because of the venom glands. So all of these things are really cool. Again, I never am. I'm just never looking at snakes long enough to know whether they have these things. And most people want, but so what, so what do you do if you see a snake? Most of the time, whether it's a venomous or non-venomous snake, um, they, if they're obviously up and ready to strike, you very calmly try to get out of the area. You never go towards it quickly. Don't try to kill it because if it strikes at you and you don't know what type it is, then you could get in some serious trouble pretty quickly. A snake. I found that out the hard way. You cannot judge. There's no judge. The snake always has the right of way period. Right. Exactly. And honestly, you know, most of them are relatively shy. Um, and they, um, you know, years ago we were swimming in the, um, the Creek at the farm and I had all the kids in, you know, and it was actually, it's a river. It wasn't a Creek. And I look off to the side and there is a snake on top of the water looking to me like it was ready to strike. Um, well, what I, I had heard recently on Facebook is that venomous snakes actually swim on top of the water. And that is true. Like, um, copperheads can swim on top of the water, water moccasins. Um, and water moccasins, and obviously and they are poisonous, um, or excuse me, venomous, because there's a difference, Tigger, which we'll talk about in a second. But um, so anyway, so when you see a snake in the water, if it's on top of the water, they are truly swimming, right? Now, a non-venomous snake that will get in the water, actually their tail is below the water and they're using that as kind of a propeller, which is, again, I just thought that was kind of interesting. I don't know. The one thing I haven't, I, I don't know is why a venomous snake swims that I don't know. Maybe it's because of the, the, the glands, who knows, makes them float. Um, but an interesting point is that the venomous, there's venom. What is the difference between venomous and that's hard to say and poisonous. So venom is an actively injected protein. So that's when you're struck with a, with uh, by fangs. Poisonous is anything that you ingest that makes you sick. So that would mean if you poisonous would be if you ingest a snake. That's poisonous. The difference is one is one you ingest, and one is one that is put into you that's toxic. Who so that's in the world would be eating a poisonous snake? Well, I that's I know, but that's Rattle the thing is you don't deal. People yeah, snakes all the time. But I guess they're venomous, but they're not poisonous. I see a poison because yeah. something that's poisonous is some is poisonous to the consumer, the one who consumes. Right. A venomous snake Correct. is venomous because his prey that he bites, or in some cases right. the the human who wasn't smart enough to get away, um, mm-hmm. is poisoned by their venom. Correct. Aha! Cool. Semantics are uh, so important. Ah. I know, because I, because I, uh, yeah, anyway, I didn't know any of that. Um, so, little riddle. I don't know if you guys ever heard this. Red to yellow, kill a fellow. Red to black, friend to jack. So uh-huh. Apparently, that is a true thing. So, red to yellow, kill a fellow. Red to black, friend to jack. A couple years ago, um, when I was living in um, Houston, I went to walk outside, and I saw a red to black snake underneath my feet. Well, I was completely freaked out because that was in my backyard and I was so certain it was, you know, going to kill my dogs and blood. And he just very quietly went on and never, you know, never, I literally walked over it. And, um, and so I looked that up and was like, okay, red to black. And it was very obvious. It was red to back that, um, 
and I guess they, I think that's sometimes they're king snakes, but don't quote me on that. I think that's what that was. But the red to yellow are the the bad ones, and one of the most uh, dangerous snakes is a coral snake. And again, they are very bashful and shy. But if you see something that is red to yellow, don't. What did you say? Don't shush it. Don't, <laughs> don't shush, shush it. it. Don't Try shush to, it. Leave it yeah. be. And it's, yeah. And they're basically snakes are, are, you know, are basically very shy. It's just, if you get in a situation where you, you know, you may come upon a copperhead, like for example, um, a couple of years ago, I, um, I had a, a cardboard box. It was out, I, out by the trash and the trash people didn't pick it up. So we went to go pick it up and there was a little tiny copperhead in it. And it was, it wasn't expecting, you know, us to pick up the box and it certainly wasn't expecting, I wasn't expecting it to be there. And so like, it was immediately flipped out by it. But as soon as I got out of the area, it went on its way and left us alone and with no big deal, but, and not that you always have those circumstances to have those, but you know, if it's this time of year, don't go sticking your hands into something, you know, in a corner, if you, you know, if it looks like a black hose, it could be a black snake. Heard that story tons of times of people in a barn. I, I so, always assume every snake is poisonous. You have the right of way. Do your thing, dude. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so one last thing that I wanted to mention that I thought I had heard for years and years and years that I really thought was true, and apparently it's not. Um, I had always heard that baby snakes were more, um, had more venom in them because it was more yeah, concentrated because they yeah, this I what I it's what I looked up today says that that is not true. That's that the adult snakes are um, probably a little bit more uh, dangerous because obviously they're going to be more accurate at getting at somebody. But apparently that is not the case. So there you go. Look for broad, fat-headed snakes with slits in its eyes and stay away from it. And quite frankly, if you see a snake at all, just stay away from it. <laughs> but black snakes are good. Black snakes are good. And so are rat snakes. Right. And, you know, one of the things um, they do have, every state has, I think, these little charts, or you can look them up online, that tell you, you know, the the good snakes and the bad snakes. And um, like I said, I am not a fan of snakes, but I do know there are so many wonderful benefits to them. So the more you know, the more educated you are, the better you can handle situations should they arise. And if you get in a situation that you are bitten by a snake and you think it's venomous, you know, the biggest thing they say is stay calm. You know, try to breathe, obviously, you know, get to a hospital as soon as you can. But they say two things. Do not apply a tourniquet and do not suck the venom out. That's not a thing. That's only so for Western. Mo- that's only for Hollywood movies. I know. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, so every time you watch an old spaghetti Western or whatever, you know, it's still going to be in there because it was it was like, you, you, how do you get saved if you're all the way out there? Right. That's right. You got to suck out the venom. But apparently device. that's not that's a thing. That is. It's, not, it's not a practical way to save your life. It's a plot device. It's a movie. It's a plot device. You're full of big, good information I today. Am, I'm yeah. fired, you're man. on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and a slightly disturbing, but also educational segment. Mm-hmm. Patty Purse. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. Again, all, snakes are just fine. They have the right of way at my house. If they decide they need to live under my house, they will be trapped and rehomed to a different part of the county. Right. <laughs> or, or country, whatever. Yeah. Or country. <laughs> I don't think we're allowed mm-hmm. to ship them across state lines here in Florida. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. 
Yeah, especially in Florida with the big the big ends that you guys have out in the Everglades. That's that's a whole that's a whole other story. Yeah, the Python problem. Python. Different conversation. Don't get me yeah. started on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're at Critter Nutrition, and today we're going to talk about supporting homeostasis with medicinal mushrooms. Homeostasis is from the Greek words for same and steady. It refers to the process that living things use to maintain stable conditions necessary for survival. It is a system critical for health. Homeostasis is a form of equilibrium, of balance. It is essential for the regulation of temperature, glucose, water, salt, protein, fat, calcium, electrolytes, respiration, pH, and oxygen. Homeostasis also applies to cells, the cell number, the tissue architecture, the extracellular matrix, the concentration of oxygen and nutrients. Cellular homeostasis includes cell volume, electrolyte concentrations, pH, intercellular ions, proteins, nutrients, oxygen, and reactive oxygen species. The nervous system, the hypothalamus, the pituitary, the adrenal, and the endocrine system control homeostasis via feedback mechanisms. Among the homeostatic mechanisms in the body are the endocannabinoid system and the HPA axis, that is hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. The HPA axis is, is a complex, complex set of positive and negative feedback between the hypothalamus, pituitary gland, and the adrenal glands. These feedback mechanisms work in a neuroendocrine pathway to modulate the immune system, fertility, stress response, and the cardiovascular system. Dysfunction in the HPA access leads to Cushing syndrome, chronic stress, anxiety, metabolic syndrome, adrenal insufficiency, chronic inflammation, including irritable bowel disease and allergies. The effects of stress on homeostasis. Stress is a key factor in the disruption of equilibrium. A stressor to homeostasis can be physical, physiologic, or psychological. Examples, change in temperature, cold or heat, injury to the body would be physical stressors. Physiological stressors are pain and fatigue. Psychological stressors are fear and, and anxiety. Short-term stress provides the body with energy for flight or fight. In chronic stress, however, the feedback mechanism that controls the stress response can compromise the immune system, the tissues, changes in neural networks in the brain, and lower levels of serotonin in the production of tryptophan. Inflammation and stress. Inflammation and the body's stress responses are protective reactions that defend homeostasis. If the stress response is insufficient to maintain the homeostatic state, an inflammatory response is induced. Chronic stress and chronic inflammation are linked to metabolic disease and impairments of the immune system, can also affect mood, learning, and attitude, can affect GI tract by decreasing blood flow, imbalancing gut bacteria, and increasing inflammation in the gut. Supporting homeostasis with adaptogens. 
Adaptogens are plants and fungi that allow the body to tolerate increased stress, facilitating and rebalancing the body during illness. Such plants and mushrooms are known in traditional Chinese medicine as enhancing qi, which is the vital life force. In Ayurveda, adaptogens are referred to as rasayanas, maintaining balance to the physiology, helping the body to be more resistant to damaging influences. In Western herbal medicine, adaptogens are known as tonics that can restore and invigorate body systems. Adaptogens play key roles in homeostasis. Two important adaptogens are reishi and cordyceps mushrooms. These two adaptogenic medicinal mushrooms provide homeostatic support to horses. Reishi mushrooms supports the HPA axis, the adrenals, the nervous system, the endocrine system, and immune systems. Remember, it is the HPA axis that is critical, a critical homeostatic system. Reishi is known in traditional Chinese medicine as the mushroom of immortality. It is tonic for the qi, the life force. Cordyceps supports anti-inflammatory and immunomodulary actions, can help ATP production, thereby reducing fatigue. In China, this medicinal mushroom is also used for respiratory health by dilating the bronchi and augmenting anti-inflammatory properties, thus increasing airflow. Can horses eat mushrooms? If your horse is hand-grazed, turned out even for an hour a day, he or she is in contact with the beneficial soy f- soil fungi. So your horse has been eating fungi spores all his or her life. In fact, research has shown that the colon of the horse houses anaerobic fungi, which are key players in the degradation of lignin and cellulose plant fibers in the hindgut. At Biostar, we are picky about our mushrooms. We rely on traditional Chinese medicine as to how mushrooms should be cultivated, processed, and what parts are used. The medicinal mushrooms we use come from China. Why? Because China has been using and growing medicinal mushrooms for thousands of years. The reishi and cordyceps we use are grown on wood, not cereal grains or rice. Mushrooms grown on wood have low starch content and high beta-glucan content. Mushrooms grown on grain and rice have high starch content and low beta-glucan content. Beta-glucans are important immunomodulators and help reduce pro-inflammatory cytokines. The mushrooms Biostar uses are grown in greenhouses with natural lighting and fresh air and are certified organic. Our reishi and cordyceps mushroom extracts are a blend of the mycelia, spores, and fruit bodies, just as the ancient traditional Chinese medicine practitioners used. Introducing Biostar's new wellness supplement, Adapter, which provides the beneficial medicinal mushrooms, reishi, and cordyceps for support of homeostasis, coupled with important wellness foods like greedlet mussels for the joints, organic kale for sulfur, organic turmeric as a potent antioxidant, amalaki, which is a rejuvenating plant in Ayurveda, astaxanthin, it's a super antioxidant able to cross biological membranes, sunflower lecithin provides phosphatidylcholine to support healthy brain function and memory, organic black pepper, which is used widely in Ayurvedic medicine for its antioxidant properties. It is also gastroprotective. This is in a base of coconut meal and organic pumpkin seed meal. There are many wellness formulas for horses on the market. So what does it mean for your horse? 
the basic definitions of wellness is defined as the quality or state of being healthy in mind and body, especially as the result of deliberate effort. An approach to healthcare that emphasizes preventing illness and prolonging life as opposed to treating disease. At Biostar, we approach wellness by recognizing and supporting your horse's fundamental biological mechanism of wellness called homeostasis. Health, longevity, and performance depends on homeostasis. Our wellness supplement receptor targets homeostasis through the body's endocannabinoid system with CBD from hemp biomass. Horses competing in licensed USEF shows or FEI competitions cannot compete on CBD. Biostar's adapter provides support for homeostasis through specific adaptogens, organic reishi mushrooms and organic cordycep mushrooms that support the vital HPA axis for homeostasis. Wellness, it's not just a word. It's a state of health, vitality, and well-being. Real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why Biostar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. Biostar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real fruit ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The Biostar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. Visit BiostarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BiostarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. So now we're at Coffee Clatch. And we're going to talk about feeding dogs and how to make it fun for you and the dogs. And the reason that I'm bringing it up is that my dogs have, um, over time, taught me that the more more fun I make it, the more fun it is for them. So... um, you know, I'm feeding six dogs, so it's a variety. Everyone gets something slightly different. Um, some days it's a little bit like the mad scientist. But I found that if I make it really fun for them, like, oh, look what I've got here. And they're they're sitting there like, you know, they want to jump out of their skin, but they know not to. <laughs> but just so excited at the process. Oh, oh, and now I'm adding this. And oh, it is so so good and they are about to just leap out of their skins into the bowls and I noticed that when I do this they're so excited to get their food that I I really have mostly eliminated picky eater syndrome or I want to see what the other guy has because they all <laughs> they're all getting the most wonderful, incredible stuff on the planet. And Peter, when he's feeding, he sings to them. Oh. And he tells them that they're at Chez Pierre's <laughs> for dinner. Isn't Chez Pierre's That's where they cute. went in um oh, what was the movie? The the Disney movie with the dogs? 
And they're eating the spaghetti. Oh, 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 Lady and the Tramp. Oh, was it, yeah. it Shea Pierre's yeah. they went to in Lady and the Tramp? I, I don't know. No, I'm so. going to have to look that up. No, it was Italian. It was Italian, not French. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah, it was Italian. You're right. Yeah. And and I know how easy it is to get into the, get the bowls out, get the kibble in. Of course, I haven't fed kibble in a long time, but, you know, just get the job done because there's, you know, I've got to feed my family and the horses and da 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 But if you can take just a few minutes to enjoy the process of it, the dogs, they resonate with that. It sounds like to me, Tigger, that you have some incredibly well-behaved dogs before dinner time. Because if I even make one more noise other than the stuff hitting that bowl, they would take me out. My what? dogs are so, oh, they are so excited about eating. I have to calm them down. Like they, and they all, you know, we, we feed them. Um, I feed them when I get up in the morning and then generally, you know, right before we eat dinner. And um, if I, at the minute I do the stand up gesture and walk towards the room where the dog food is, they're tripping me. They're just constantly tripping me. And, you know, and I have five dogs and they, um, but Gavin, my young, my, my youngest, goodness, my oldest one um, starts to whine and bark and bark. And then it gets all the other ones keyed up. So we have to be very methodical and like kind of it's, and it's, they're all very excited and they're very good about not going into from bowl to bowl. You know, they all eat their own dog food, but it's funny though. They, the, the Aussies just sit in the back wiggling their butts and um, have, I've got to be careful because catch will start spinning. And if he starts spinning, <laughs> he'll have no fury like an Aussie butt swinging for dinner because he, he'll take, he'll, I mean, Gavin can't hear or see and then Gavin goes flying across the room you know, and he, he comes back. He's scrappy. Okay. He's coming back. But it, it's like, it's sort of like, it becomes this little, um, like hectic, uh, feast of, you know, who's going to sit there and, you know, get, get to my ankles or trip me, you know, quicker, but it's so funny, but I've been very fortunate with this group of dogs. They are not picky eaters because picky eaters really to me is very stressful. Um, so I've been pretty fortunate. <laughs> how about you, Jen? How, how, how is glory at dinner time? Since she has become the blind greyhound, she's really quite subdued because she's concerned about crashing into things. Uh, which, yeah. Yes, but we have discovered that she loves special things in her bowl at, at mealtime. So we either give her a little spoonful of pumpkin or a little spoonful of yogurt. It varies from day to day. Yeah. And it's, it, I don't know how she does it because she is literally blind as a bat, cannot see a thing. She somehow knows when you open the refrigerator door whether or not you're going to get she knows what the yogurt can smell sounds like, because as soon as you get the yogurt out, she she goes nuts. And what she does, she she stays in one place, and she kind of sits back on her haunches a little bit, and she slaps the floor as hard as she can, like that, without the barking. And she just she slaps the floor and swings her head left and right, and left and right, and she slaps the floor, but she slaps the floor right next to you because she's not moving. And about a third of yeah. the time, she hits you with those paws, and it really hurts. 
but that's what oh, gets yeah, her fired up at at chow time. Isn't that cute? Yeah, it's it's so freaking adorable. She used to jump up and down and scream and and just get all excited at mealtime all the time. Yeah. But that kind of went away yeah. because she would run into things and that would upset her. But now she just thinks it's pretty cool when she hears the yogurt can open up and she just jumps up and down and up and down and up and down. Yeah. What I think is so interesting though, is that when I stand up, like I stand up after we eat dinner or stand up or I'm moving around in the kitchen, but it's like the minute I make that gesture, not even necessarily walking towards where the dog bowls are. They know. They know there's radar. There's some no, kind of radar there. It, well, they, I must admit a smell or something because they are just like, oh, we're going to eat. It's a dog feeding like, pheromone. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. I mean, because it's not necessarily, like I said, I mean, I'm in a new house now. And I mean, I would have to walk through the laundry room to get to my bedroom in the old house. And I would walk to my bedroom all the time. You know, I had a bathroom back there, whatever. And I just, it was, and it's not like I see it exactly at the same time, you know, because sometimes we're, you know, raised doing something and we're getting home later or early or whatever. And it's like, all of a sudden they just know, like, they just, it's like, Oh, I'm like, Oh, it's time to feed the dogs or they'll, you know, I, they never have to come and get me because, um, they're always, no matter where I am, they're all at my feet. So, um, <laughs> yeah, my, yeah, it's, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. As far mine, as I'm concerned, mine are exactly are, the same way, but yeah, it's it hard. might have something to do for me with the energy that I'm putting into their food. If I'm Oh sure. Um if, if I'm mindful of not seeing it as a chore but as, you know Because you cook it, with love. Exactly. It's Medicine. Soul food. Exactly. Yeah. It's not just, okay, I gotta I gotta feed the dog now. Pop the can open, pour it out. Right. Blah blah blah. <laughs> right, right. It it I, I really think that there is a link to to how we our consciousness about feeding them and and how that relates to that food going into their bodies. I just it, I I always thought, thought I think it's so much fun to I, I enjoy feeding the animals. I, I love to hear their little smacky lips and how how much they. I know, like to time they're. them. <laughs> 15 seconds done yeah buckaroo has got you know he's de- he's five nanoseconds yeah <laughs> all of mine are very quick except gavin because his teeth are falling out of his head but yeah i i they, they're they're uh, they're three minutes and it's such maybe. an important time for them you know when you think about it they only get this twice a day you know, a yeah. human can go all day long and nosh, but yeah. you know, the dogs are kind of limited on the nosh end. Yeah, and yeah. so this is a highlight, um, and and to make it fun for them even more than it already is is it, it's incredibly it's incredibly rewarding. So you oh, got, yeah. you guys both have multiple canines to feed and we just have the one where do you i'll ask patty this one first where where do you fall on the using various and sundry tools to make meal time i'm going to use the word challenging but take longer the 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 little feeding mats or the i'm going to call it a toy but whatever it is the devices where you put food inside of them and they have to you know do something like to the it to kongs. make the kongs well they yeah. make kongs they also make the ones where 
It's literally They're like a, puzzles. It's like yeah. a puzzle. And they have to use their paw to shove the little thingy out of the way to get to the food. Where do you? How do you feel about those things? Do you think they're useful? Do you think they're stupid? Do you think they're just not fair to the dog because he wants to eat fast? I think a lot of it depends. Um, you know, um, I mean, I'll when any of the puppies are young, I always use the Kongs and I'll put peanut butter or whatever in there for them to kind of keep themselves busy. Because if I'm not here, I crate my dogs. You know, because it's like their 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 safe spot. You know, as they get older, I tend not to uh, to do it. But like with Gavin, he was having seizures as he got older. So I, I just got back into the habit of crating them all. So if they're in the crate, I like them to have something to do um, if they wake up and I'm not home yet. So I would do do those type of things. I have with the Aussies, because it's so funny, done the, the toys where um, you put food in one of the toys because they um, they're both food driven, but not terribly food driven. But they'll like they'll I just like watching them try to get the toy out or the food out and like how that keeps them busy and their mind working. But it's not something like I do all the time. It's not like, you know, as soon as you said that, I was like, Oh yeah, where is that toy? <laughs> what, what happened to it? You know? So How about you, Tigger? I I use the find it game. Oh, I used to do that with my kitty cat. Yeah, we would just yeah. we just you just put a couple of kibbles and the kitty cat ate dry kibble. You just put a, a couple of pieces here and there and here and there, and they just have to go, look at that, a surprise! Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Except I tell them to go find it, so I'll hide it under a cushion or... So it's interactive. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want Which to would be hard to do with a cat. You know, they just sort of wander around yeah. and go, hey, yeah. we used look to, at I, this. <laughs> I used to put them um, empty paper, empty toilet paper roll cardboard thing. I'd staple the ends shut and then cut a tiny little hole in the middle that the kibble would fall out of. And I put five or six pieces of kibble, and I just put them all over the house when we would go away, and it would keep him from tearing the house apart because he would go <laughs> everywhere in the house trying to find the paper towel rolls and get the little kibbles out of them. Oh, that's cute! So it kept him from tearing the house apart. It was very useful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We with um, our previous greyhound Bam Bam, we wanted to get her one of those kind of toys like a Kong. Not a big chewer, which is pretty common with greyhounds. They're not, they're frequently not big chewers. So Kong didn't really work with her. She'd stick her tongue in there and go, that's too much work. It's not worth it. Right. So I came across a treat dispensing toy. I'm going to use air quotes there. That was made for puppies, little puppies. So all it was was two bowls stuck together. And one of the two bowls had great big holes in it, like the size of almost a ping pong ball. So you could put dog food in there and it was all she could do to figure out how to use her nose to roll that over to get the dog food fall out. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was a real mental chore for her. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. That's so funny. It was pretty cute. It was pretty cute. So that's very interesting. Interesting yeah. ways to make mealtime interesting or give them mm-hmm. some, men- some mental flossing that's a good idea too for yes, for meals mental flossing. interactive or by themselves that's great great ideas if if anybody listening has great ideas on to how to how they give a little mental floss or excitement for their pets meal times we'd love to hear about it and where would they tell us that tigger healthycrittersradio.com <laughs> no more coffee bum, for bum, you bum. you're out yeah that's it <laughs> And I don't drink coffee. Yeah. Can you imagine There's what a reason I'd like that. if I did? Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. No. No, no more no, matcha no. tea. 
Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to healthycrittersradio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Love your dog. Hug your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean your litter box. Dance with your goat. Slither with your snakes. Howl at the moon. Hang with your hamster. Party with your parrot. Waddle with your walrus. Outwit your otter. Cuddle your cows. Rap with your raptor. Go chipping with your chipmunks. Forgive your fox. While hedging your hog. We also recommend that you rack with your raccoon. Gyrate with your giraffe. Meditate with a meerkat. Uber with your orangutan. Facebook with your flamingo. Ponder with your panda. Walk with your wookie. Yawn with your yak. Twitter with your toucan. Go raining with your reindeer. Dropbox your dragon. <laughs> <laughs>